morning, everyone. Junior church, four years old through fourth grade, you're dismissed to walk up front here. And as they're doing that, I have a question for all of you. Who here has heard of Aglo, New York? Has anyone ever heard of Aglo, New York? We're in a sermon series where we're visiting various cities, and we've gone from one of the best ones we looked at, uh, Charleston, to one of the worst ones, which was Detroit. Today, I wanted to just mention something about Aglo, New York. You're going to see it here up on the map. So you can see right there in New York, Badley, um, right near um, Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's Pennsylvania. Um, Aglo, that spot on the map, does not exist. Aglo is the creation of two people, Otto Lindbergh and Ernest Alpins from American's General Drafting Company. They were commissioned to make a map of New York State in the 1930s, and they used their initials to create a new town, Aglo which they dropped on a dirt road intersection right there in the Catskills. Years later, the town Aglo appeared on another map, one of their competitors, Rand McNally. And um, so um, general drafting threatened to sue them because they plagiarized. They took something and they made it theirs. But McNally pointed out, you are going to lose the case. See, at this point, Aglo, at that intersection, had a general store. This guy came and he saw on the map there's a town called Aglo and they don't have any stores. So he went and built a general store there. Even though there's only an intersection, there's no homes, there's no businesses, there was nothing. So guess what happened to that business? It closed. But it was sufficient evidence to prove that Aglo existed and the lawsuit failed. Then Aglo turned into a part of a story in a town called, or in a book called Paper Towns. And because of this, it has become a curiosity place where people actually go to visit. Here's a picture. That's the only place of Aglo left. Is a sign people go there to go visit this fake town and to get their picture taken next to a general store that doesn't exist anymore. Okay, I have another question. This is going to kind of separate a few people here. Who here remembers this group? Millie Vanilli. Right. Okay, the R&B duo from Munich, Germany, founded in 88. Um, The group's debut album, Girl, You Know It's True, achieved international success, earned them a Grammy for Best New Artist in 1990. And when they gave their, they did their first live interview with MTV, that was back when they had music, um, an executive noticed their poor English skills. Those present began to doubt, can they really sing with such bad English and really strong accents? In 1989, Girl You Know It's True, um, they recorded, jammed, um, while they were, pre- oh, I'm so excited about this one, sorry. So in 1989, they were um, performing this song, Girl, You Know It's True. And while they're singing and dancing on stage, the music started to skip. And it kept saying, Girl, You Know It's, Girl, You Know It's, Girl, You Know It's. And they kept performing it for a little bit until they realized we, the jig is up. And they ran off stage as the song kept singing and skipping. <laughs> 
They confessed to not singing any of the songs on their albums and were later stripped of their Grammys. That duo was doing something that is very commonly heard now. What is it? Lip-syncing. And lip-syncing moves his lip, a person moves their lips silently, mouthing the words in synchronization with a recorded soundtrack. This is not uncommon. Uh, many artists do this today. Many uh, vocalists, they'll, they'll pre-record the national anthem. That way they have good sound, and then when they project it over the speakers, it is that person singing, just a pre-recorded, it's no longer live. Um, that's not what Millie Vanilli were doing. They were lip-syncing somebody else's songs and just doing good moves and motions with it. So what is lip-syncing? Uh, we're going to demonstrate this. Come on up here, my friend. Okay. Pay no attention to the guy behind the curtain. Okay? So we're going to we're gonna lip sync this. Okay? We're gonna try and lip sync part of the sermon. Now you gotta sell it like you are the, the sermon. You're the preacher right now, okay? They're not looking at me, they're looking at you. Any pressure? Okay, good. Alright, ready? The person who lip syncs, and I want you to hear what I'm about to say. The person who lip syncs is a shadow of the. You got to move your mouth more. Okay. You're, you're barely moving. You got shadow. Okay, ready. Let's start over. Ready? The person who lip syncs, and I want you to hear what I am about to say. I don't mumble. Okay, you read it. The How, do it. That's all he moves his mouth anyways. Okay. So, let's go there. They have not done. That's where we're going to start. They have not done what it takes to be authentic. It's not too bad, okay? Um, to be genuine, to be the real thing, to be what they say they are. A person who listens is a liar. They are living in a city called Do Big Hand Movement. Big Hand. Do Plicity. Okay, okay, go on. Thank you. <laughs> so let me reiterate that because that was just funny. A person who lip syncs is faking it. They're not being authentic. They're not being real. They're living in a city called Duplicity. This is where we're going to visit today. Duplicity is when you live in two different places, not just one. Millie Vanilli, they lived in duplicity, claiming to be talented singers, even though they were not. As we continue this tour of the cities and acts, Paul is in... Um, he is in his third missionary journey. We're going to be in Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 13. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? Here we have this really weird in 
interaction, this event that happens in Scripture. We have these seven sons of Sceva and an evil spirit. The evil spirit sees them. And he says, when Jesus speaks, I know it. When Paul speaks, I know that too. I hear what you're saying and it kind of sounds similar, but you're not with them. I don't know you. Verse 16 says, Then the man with the evil spirit leapt on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence, they fled from the house naked and battered. I mean, this is a funny event. Okay, we got seven guys who go in to try and rid this man of the evil spirits, and seven guys are overpowered by one. They end up running away scared and naked. I mean, if we were watching this, this would be funny. But hidden in this funny event is something really sinister, something very serious. The sons of Sceva were living in duplicity, and that's why this event happened. They were acting like they were believers in God. They were mimicking Paul, but their actions were fake. And because of that, their duplicity was shown by their shame. Their duplicity was shown by their shame. They were publicly shamed, stripped, beaten. And as I was reading this, I asked, uh, how many times has this happened to us today? How many times do we live like these sons of Sceva? Just because you know what to say does not mean there is power behind what we say. And many times, many of us in the body of Christ, we don't understand that. We think just because we know the right words to say, just because we know the right way to say it, that there's going to be something in it that causes this result. The Bible says faith is what makes things work. Not the knowledge of things, not the way you say things. It's not what you say. It's what you say with the faith of it that makes it work. These sons of Sceva knew the right words. They knew the right way to say them. But they were weak because there was no faith in them. And in a way, this, let's be blunt here, this is a description of many Christians, or many people claiming to be Christians. When we speak the word of God, we're not speaking from a place of faith. They're not speaking of a place of knowing who God truly is to them. They're not speaking of a place of love. If you listen to what a lot of people who claim to be Christians say, would you say they're speaking love? Or would they be speaking condemnation, division? And for the majority of them, we'd say no. And then those same people wonder, why is Satan so prevalent in my life? Just like these sons of Sceva, why was Satan able to overpower us? When Christians live in duplicity, they are lip-syncing their faith. They're living a faith like Millie Vanilli. They know what to say and how to say it. Preston, you, you knew the words. They were right there, didn't you? It was highlighted, so he knew which words to say. They were in order, but why couldn't he say them? He was only faking it. Now, that was intended, but how many times do we do this in our own faith? Living a lie, and we end up deceiving ourselves. We're going to look at some examples. These are passages that we've all read before, but I want us to see them in the context of this 
events with the sons of Sceva. Look at Romans 16. And now I make one more appeal. My dear brothers and sisters, watch out for people who cause division and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you've been taught. Stay away from them. Oh, that's strong. Yeah, if you ever think that the scripture only says we all got to come together, nope. Somebody who teaches the wrong things, stay away from them. It says it right there. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interests. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. This letter in Romans, written to the church in Rome, Paul tells them to stay away from people who live in duplicity. These people say the right things. They, they sound right. They're ladies and gentlemen. Let me tell you about what's true. They all smooth talkers. And the immature or the innocent fall prey to them. And those people are leading them off the wrong path. They're saying the right things just to lead them away. And isn't that what Satan did in the garden? He came up and he used a bit of truth. Did God really say this? And they twisted a little bit of doubt. He said something that sounded right. And Eve and Adam were led out of the garden, led out of relationship with God, and they moved into duplicity. The people here in Romans say just right, but they don't believe what they're saying. The sons of Sceva, they were saying the right words, but they didn't believe them. And when living in duplicity, our shame is shown in our words do not match our faith. This is true of the sons of Sceva, and it can be true of so many who go to church today. What does it mean? It, it, it's as simple as some of the songs we sing. When we sing the words but don't truly mean them, that's duplicity. When we say, God, I trust you, I love you, and we're singing that in a song, but we don't mean it, we're milly vanillying it. It's fake. The times, times I go through the motions. There are some times... I go through the motions just to get through a Sunday. And when I do that, I just went and sat in duplicity. We all do it. And the easy answer of why is because we're just dumb people. We're sheep. We know we should truly mean the words, but at times our emotions, our thoughts are, are not really with the songs, and so we just mouth them to make sure nobody knows but it's more than just singing songs. I've heard, I've heard people, they've come and asked me, could you play a, pray a blessing on this relationship that I'm in? When they're obviously living in sin. You, you think God's going to bless that relationship. It, it goes against scripture. Man, I really want God to bless this endeavor I'm in. When you've never sought him, you just said, I want this. Now God bless it instead of seeking him first. Those people are showing they believe in God, they want his guidance, but they want to make sure their will is done first, their feelings are matched, and God can take the back seat and come in later. They're not obeying God's word, they're just saying, I believe in him, which is duplicity. 
Look at Hebrews 10.26. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. If ever there was a scripture that I wouldn't want in the Bible, it's this one. This is a strong verse, and it's one that's often neglected. What this verse is saying is when we become Christians and then choose to deliberately keep sinning, when we know it is wrong and yet choose to do it, we're living in duplicity. And when we live in duplicity, we don't trust God. We don't rely on the sacrifice of Christ, which means Christ's death on the cross, his resurrection mean nothing to us. Therefore, the sacrifice doesn't cover us because we're living in duplicity, not in relationship with God. And so, if his blood does not cover us, there's a very bold and blunt statement, and I've already told you at times, I move into duplicity. When we are living in duplicity, we're not Christians. We're fake. That's a very hard statement. When we know something we should be doing in our faith and choose not to do it, duplicity. If, if Jesus said, to become a Christian, I want you to run around the church three times saying, I love Jesus, would we do it? I hope so. We'd look like weirdos, but we'd do it. If Jesus said, this is what you must do to be my disciples, you must have a mullet. Thankfully, Jesus would never say that. <laughs> if Jesus said, to be my disciples, you must pick up your cross daily and follow me. To be my disciple, you must pray to God the Father. You must grow in your faith. You must share my message with other people. You must obey. Sounds good on a Sunday morning. But if we're not going to follow through with it, we're just going to go through the motions. If we're going to lip sync, that's duplicity. Notice what happens to these sons of Stephen, Acts 19, verse 17. The story of what happened spread quickly throughout um, all of Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. The event of this demon man beating up this group of fake Christians spread throughout the town. Of, of course, that's going to be interesting. Yeah, something weird like that happens in a town, everybody's going to know about it. But notice what happened. A solemn fear. I, I had to look this up. I wanted to make sure I knew what that word, right there where it says, am I solemn fear? Fear isn't the right word. It is a terror. That is what the Greek really means. The same word is used in Acts 5.11. Great fear, terror gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what happened. What is this event when Ananias and Sapphira lied and they dropped dead and great fear or terror gripped the church when these two people tried to honor themselves instead of God. And when God gave them their punishment, terror filled the area. Because these people realize God means what he says. And if we don't follow through, 
terror because the God, the creator, the authority, when he says something, he means it. The result of fear led people to truly believe in God. This terror pointed them to the real God. And so that means if you're going to tune to him, that means we can leave duplicity. And to leave duplicity, we have to have a healthy fear of God. I don't mean scared of him. I don't mean scared of him. I don't mean that you're just so scared that you're you're trembling that you, you just don't want to come into his presence. That's not the type of fear I'm talking about. A respectful fear that... He is the authority. He is pure and holy. That he is just. That he is sovereign. A holy fear. Fear of God is a result of true faith. That's the first part of leaving duplicity. There comes a point in every teenage boy's life that he starts losing the healthy fear of his parents. Because he starts thinking, I can be a man. And what does it take for him to realize he is not the man? Discipline. A smack. Right, John? And I can pick on any of you other guys who are looking at John and saying, hey, you picked on Jonathan. It takes a reminder. You think you're big stuff, but you're not dad. And all of us Christians need to remember that. Sometimes it takes a smack to remind us he is father. He is authority. He is sovereign. And so we need to have that healthy fear. Verses 18 and 19. Many who believe, or many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books, burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars, that'd be in today's terms. Once healthy fear started permeating their lives, those who believed confessed their sins. They rid their lives, they rid their homes of ungodliness. They got rid of things that led them to sinful practices. And look what they got rid of, incantation books, sorcery. Oh, we're talking about Christians here. And yet they were practicing sinfulness. These people who had faith in God were also practicing satanic rituals. They were living in duplicity. But because they started getting that healthy fear of God, they were able to leave duplicity. And they chose to leave by repenting. Now, repenting is a, is a big churchy word that we use often, and many people say it means to be sorry. It's not enough. It's, it's so much more than that. When we repent, we are saying we are sorry, but we are so sorry we choose to turn away from that forever. We are so sorry I don't want to go near that again. We are changing our lives in a different direction. We are leaving that area of what was wrong and going the right way into God. These people here were living in duplicity, practicing both Christianity and satanics. They were using tarot cards or mediums or incantation books. They were Ouija boards. It's just a fun game by Milton Bradley, right? With deep satanic roots disguised in a happy meal. That's really what it is. And... They got rid of things that were valuable. How much money? 
millions of dollars in today's work. This made me ask, why not just sell the books, collect the money, and give that to God? Think of how much money they could have helped serve the people. They could have helped build a new building. They could have started an outreach program, helped all the homeless, feed all those hungry people if they would have collected all the money by selling those and giving it to God. Doesn't that sound like a good idea? But if they had done that, if they had sold those witchcraft books, the tarot cards, the Ouija boards, what would they be doing? Giving it to somebody else. They would have not been repenting. They're saying, well, I can still get good out of this. They'd be giving those sinful things to someone else instead of giving those simple, instead of giving up the sinful things. Uh, we did this once in a youth group um, up in Charlotte. Um, we were going through some things, and the kids there said, we need to get rid of these things. And so we did something that a lot of the generations under here, we, we did a Gallagher thing. Okay? We did the Sledgematic. Okay? Some of you, yeah, he's like, what the? look up Gallagher. Okay? Just... Uh, make sure your parental locks are on, no? Okay? Um, but Gallagher, he had this big sledgeomatic, and he would smash fruit, and it would explode off everybody. It was just fun stuff like that. Well, we decided to have a sledgeomatic where we were going to smash whatever these kids wanted to get rid of that was leading them into sin. And then there was a couple people said, I have these things that we can't smash, so we're, we're going to burn them. Okay? We're just going to sacrifice them. Now, one of the things, Austin, you're not going to want to hear this was a collection of Star Wars books. And I'm like, wait a minute, uh, can I have this? I'll take this book. That's, that's what I really wanted to say. And Star Wars. I like Star Wars. And Jesse said, and this is what he said, and he was 18 at the time. Jesse said, if I gave that to you, I wouldn't be repenting. And I keep looking at my life hoping for the force instead of for God. And I had to back up. As his youth minister, and watch him burn some books that I really wanted. And then I saw his faith grow in it. There was DVDs and CDs that people wanted to get rid of, and we could have sold them. But you know what happened? These kids sacrificed something. They repented. They got rid of it and said, this thing, while it may not be bad, it's not good compared to God. And so we got rid of it. This church here in, in, in Acts, they had bad things, and they sacrificed it because of a healthy fear. They repented. And maybe it's time Christians all over started following the example of this church or that youth group that I had. Of getting rid of things that are in our way of getting a healthier fear of God in a closer relationship. Of actually sacrificing things so that we can be better in relationship with Him. As a result, what happened when this, this group of people had a healthy fear and they repented? Verse 20, so the message of the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. When people choose to leave duplicity, when they have that healthy fear, when they uh, repent of sinful ways, look what happens. And when we choose to leave duplicity, other people are impacted by God. It says so right there. When the people had a healthy fear, when they repented, they got rid of everything, the rest of the people noticed. you know why? Because they just burned a million dollars worth of stuff. Because they believe in God. They just got rid of things to make their life more pure towards God. That's something real. 
and the rest of the world noticed. The message of God spread quickly. We just read earlier where the message of being a beatdown spread quickly. And it turned into a message of hope that spread quickly. All because of how the people turned from duplicity and turned to faith. The message of God spread quickly and had powerful effect. That, when I read that part, I had a question. Isn't that what we want now? Do you and I want the message of Christ to spread quickly and to have a powerful effect on the people around us? Don't we want our loved ones, our friends, our family to come to Christ? Could it be that we are stopping them? Could it be that you and I are choosing to live in duplicity, saying the right words of faith, but living something totally different? When living duplicity, we bring shame upon ourselves and we live as unbelievers. You, you want to know how to tell if you're living in duplicity? Hit your, ham, hit your thumb with a hammer. What flies out of your mouth? That'll tell you where you're living. It, 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 it's true. Have somebody wreck into your car. What's your first response? That'll tell you if you're living in duplicity. Have anger fuel inside you and how you respond. I know, I've heard people, heard people in this church use foul language when they hit their thumb or something. And I was like, what? I've heard people slander other people in this church or people outside of this church. Duplicity. I've heard people berate their spouse or demean their children. It's duplicity. This sermon was in perfect time for me. I, I'm just going to tell you. Um, this week, I spent all week with two teenage boys doing a floor project in our basement. And constantly in my head, it was, don't live in duplicity. Don't live in duplicity. Don't live there. And my boys got to see me hit my finger, this finger, three times, the same spot. And it bled. It was like a little sprinkling of sacrifice all over the floor. And in my head, don't be in duplicity. Don't be in duplicity. And I can say for one week, I didn't. How many other times have I failed them? I failed my wife. I failed God. Because I let the circumstances dictate what I was going to do instead of choosing healthy fear of God first. Isn't that why we, or isn't that what we want? But is that why maybe the rest of the people around us aren't? having a great impact in hearing the message of God because we keep stumbling them. We are putting blocks in front of them so they're, you call yourself a Christian and that's how you talk or speak or act. There are some people in this room who need to repent. 
of sinful actions or sinful habits. There are people here who need to get rid of the things of this world and start holding on to a healthy fear of God. Earlier when we showed the picture of Millie Vanilli, a little bit of a rumble of laughter kind of went through. Why? Because you all know they're fake. It was a huge scandal. Because of their duplicity, Millie Vanilli has gone down in shame. Millie Vanilli, that name symbolizes fake. Lip-syncing. People still go to visit Aglo, New York. That fake town. They posted on social media, look where I went because of this fake town, this one little sign, an old foundation of a a store. It's in a book. And look where I'm at. I'm at this fake town. They take pictures of it. And the world laughs and moves on. And unfortunately, many churches are just as fake. They're just as bankrupt. They can say the right words on a Sunday morning. And then what? Many of us have heard the term Sunday morning Christian. What is a Sunday morning Christian? What does that mean? They are Christian only on Sunday. That's all they are. They do the right thing. They dress the right way. They say the right thing. And then what happens on Monday? It's gone. They go back to drinking, cussing, smoozing, cheating. Lying. They're fake. So I'm going to ask a very bold question. Who here is Millie Vanilli their faith? Who here is going through the motions? They're saying the right words. They look the right part. They attend the right uh, events at church. But when it comes to actually believing it, Satan keeps them battered and in shame. Because they're not walking with Jesus. Walking by themselves. Who, who did that demon possess? Me? I know Jesus. And why did he know Paul? Because Paul walks with Jesus. I hope one day that, that satanic thing can say, I know Jesus, I know Paul, I even know Donnie. And maybe your name. And what's it going to take? We've got to get out of this duplicity. Accepting the things of the world. The world right now is telling you, you are hateful if you don't accept um, LGBTQ+. The world says that Christians are hateful if we declare that God's word is sovereign and there are wrong things. You know what the Bible says? It is sinful. It is wrong. And we need to stand on God's word. Say what you want, but Satan is going to have to face his due. He's going to face his penalty. And I don't want to be with him. I want to be with Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus. And so I have to leave duplicity so that I can walk with faith. Who's ready to walk in faith? Who's ready to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Millie Vanilli. I say it. I sing the words. But these 
aren't always incongruent with it. Do you need to make that? Do you need to say that? I'll meet with you right over here. If you don't want to walk there, go outside and I'll meet you outside. But will you make that defense? Will you make that stand and say, I am for Jesus today? I'll leave duplicity. And yes, we're going to fall into that many times. But I will choose to walk with Jesus. If you need to do that, make that decision. And then as we stand, then let's stand. As we go into another song, don't sing it unless you mean it. Let the message, let the power of this song radiate from your faith.